Welcome to the Out of the Bubble podcast. My name's Rachel Peru. Join me as I share a weekly dose of midlife inspiration, where you get to hear from amazing women who are embracing life and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way. Breaking down the midlife stereotypical barriers and proving it's never too late to find new passion and purpose and to step out of your bubble. So what's stopping you? Welcome back to a new week on Out of the Bubble podcast. Today we're tackling a subject that I have kind of tried to avoid really um, because I know it's a very delicate subject. So this episode does come with a trigger warning. Today I'm going to be talking to Mel Wakeman. Mel is a nutritionist and she specialises in non-diet and intuitive eating and helping counsel people that have got eating disorders and an unhealthy relationship with food. And the amount of women that I talk to that still seem trapped in this whole old-fashioned, outdated diet mentality because the diet industry has forced us down that route and because of advertising and marketing, um, it's been, you know, it's passed from generation to generation, it's ingrained in us and it's a really hard habit to break. I know from my own personal experience that having an unhealthy relationship with food has such a negative impact on our body confidence. So I'm looking forward to this conversation, but just to let you all know that this is what we're going to talk about today. Grab a coffee and enjoy. So welcome, Mel. And I was just saying before we went live that because I've followed you on social media for so long, I feel like I already know you. It's funny, isn't it? So welcome to Out of the Bubble. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I know we're going to have a great conversation. Yes, we are. Yeah. And social media is brilliant, isn't it, for bringing people together. I know it gets a bad rap, but there is some really positives. But for women our age, it's brilliant to, to make these connections, isn't it? It is. It's an incredible place. And I've made, met such wonderful people through it. So I think that the idea that social media is kind of for the young folk and dare I say it, I've just ventured over to TikTok as, as you are yes. over there, Rachel. Yes. It's like holding it out for Generation X. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I've already done your lovely introduction, but how would you describe yourself in three words and why? So my three words are passionate because, yeah, I kind of, I've now found my purpose in life. The work that I do is so important and it's kind of, I feel like this is the work that I was always meant to do. It took me a while to get here in terms of my kind of career getting to this point, but I absolutely love what I do and I think that kind of shines through in in how I come across. The other one is understanding and I guess it's through the chapters that I've lived in my life that have shaped that in terms of, for me, going through some difficult periods of my life as a teenager, as, you know, in my 20s and 30s and 40s so far, seem to have been pretty good, kind of, just, you know, pandemic. But I think going through difficult things can give you, if you can find compassion in yourself, then it helps you to be empathic towards others. And I, and I think that's, that's a really important quality, again, particularly when we're kind of looking at the work that I do and the last one is is sensitive and I am very sensitive I'm really I guess underneath this sometimes kind of bonkers very smiley person um I am very shy underneath I'm probably more of an introvert and I'm very in tune now I think through what I've experienced my own feelings and I really want to honor those so I've gone past the you know, you're overly sensitive. No, I'm sensitive for a reason. And that's, yes. that's a good thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that I can't stand it when people say yeah, overly sensitive. I got that as a long, you know, when I was young, yeah, overly sensitive. I'm actually not, I'm just in tune with myself. And yeah. I think that that's that's absolutely perfect. And I love asking those that question because it gets you do get a real insight into the person. Yes. When you choose those words. So thank you for sharing those. So what's your journey been though? Because obviously you, you're now really um, empowering people to change the, the way that they think about food and the nutrition work you're doing. But what's led you to this point? Well, I had, so to, to cut right to the very beginning of my story, I had quite what I call a funky relationship with food. Um, and it, it happened when I was kind of 15, 16, and no, no blaming here. It's just my parents um, separated and got divorced. And I found that period of time very, very difficult. It, it was like completely unexpected. And my brother was away at university. And I think part of the cause was I was, I no, I wasn't, I, I put myself as the rock for my mum. I put myself in that position of I've got much of my job to look after her. And I kind of forgot myself. And I had some therapy and it kind of, it lasted all the way, went through university and I struggled with that. And I went to university to study, funnily enough, animal science. I wanted to be a vet, but slumped all the exams and thought if I do animal science, I, I can kind of fast track onto veterinary medicine and that will be my way into, into doing that work. But I, halfway through that, I was like, I kind of like people. People are okay, you know. They do answer back, but sometimes that's a good thing. And actually that connection with people is really powerful. And I met some wonderful people on that course, but it made me think I want to go more into kind of the human nutrition side of things. So that's where my career started. I went and did a master's and I started teaching. So I taught in London for nearly six years and then came up to Birmingham, where I'm, I'm based now and took a senior lectureship position. And I taught nutrition and applied physiology to lots of different healthcare providers, like not, not medicine doctors, but nurses and midwives and paramedics and radiographers and so on. And it was there really that I was like, I think I was under immense pressure and I was burning the candle at both ends for sure. And I burnt myself at once and then did it again. And some of my food demons, as it were, re-emerged and it was like I need to I need to get to a place where I can look after myself and I made a decision to basically leave academia and it was at that point that I really started to recognize that me and academia were going very different directions I was um, course director for nutrition science degrees and we were asking nutrition students to step on scales and do food journals and it was like no, this is this is not good. And I just got a calling, really, to m go more into um, supporting people with their relationship and a much more sort of psychological approach, really. But I think through doing my own work, and I think this is what often happens, isn't it? We we do this work so that we can improve ourselves and better understand ourselves as well as helping others. And and so, yeah, five years ago, I left my academic career and. So I've been teaching for over 20 odd years and then set up, yeah, my nutrition consultancy. So now I help um, mostly women, but I have probably about 25% of my client basis is, is male. And I help people that are kind of have eating problems who are chronic dieters or binge eaters, eaters or have an eating disorder diagnosis. 
and help them on their recovery journey. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, to do a statistics of, across the country of how many people have got an unhealthy relationship with food. Because there's lots of different extremes, isn't there? I know I spent up until my 40s being on, on diets all my life and literally yeah. standing on the scales every single day. And, it, and the scale, the number on the scales dictated the mood of the day. Yeah. You know, if I was if I was lost a pound that day, I was elated. If I'd put it on, I was, you know, hard on myself. Yeah. And it's once you get let, let go of all that and you can unravel all that, that it's really freeing. But why do we have, I think particularly in the UK society, why do we have such a bad relationship with food, do you think? Well, there's a there's a huge societal and cultural influence. And in my work, I talk a lot about the diet culture mm. and I mean, this stems kind of from patriotic and capitalistic thinking in terms of there's something around having power, particularly over women, but this idea of where societal expectations have come from have certainly been shaped by, you know, the different generations. And if we look at how body ideals have changed over the last 100 years, we've, we've kind of gone complete circle and are going back round again. And so these societal expectations kind of get shoved in our face. And unfortunately, we live in a society that is very financially driven and the diet industry is, it's just crazy. You know, billions and billions of pounds of profit that come out of the diet industry, which for me, I see as being such a very manipulative industry because it's not taking people and accepting people as their true self, our culture says, you shouldn't look like that, you should look like this, yeah. because that's better. No, like, no evidence, no reason, it's just, no, it's better because you'll be more acceptable, and hey, you'll probably receive more compliments, so you'll feel better for looking like that, so that kind of feeds into that psyche, and we have a lot of bias in our culture, a lot of weight bias, so the idea of getting a good, good job, getting promotions, being successful in life, whatever that kind of means to us, mm. it's so heavily driven by appearance. Yeah. And as humans, we want to belong. Yeah. It really That's is. one of our primitive needs. And so we like, I want to be like that. And we, with the influence of social media, and I'm not sort of blaming social media for, you know, some of these problems, but it, it plays a part in what we see as normal, quote unquote, and what we see as acceptable. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because um, I would consider myself I've been what they would class thin twice in my life. And um, once when I got divorced, I lost a lot of weight quickly, was deeply unhappy and stressed. And um, the other time was when I was 18 and I did have bulimia and I was really struggling. Both those times are times that I've probably received the most compliments from people. You know, when I got divorced, it was how amazing you look, how fantastic you've lost all this weight. Good for you, blah, blah, blah. No one asking, actually, are you okay? Yeah. What's going on here? And it is all about that outer appearance that, that attracts that attention and applause, which is just outrageous, really. Now when I think about it, it makes me really angry. Yeah. And I, I wasn't in a place where I could turn back and say, actually, I don't want you to comment about what I look like. I'm not interested in your opinions. I wish I had done now, looking back. But it's hard habit to break, I guess, isn't it? How do we stop people from being so hooked on it? Yeah, and, and this is... A lot of the work that I do, which is challenging that narrative. Yeah. And when it's something that you've held on to for a long period of your life, and I and I work with 
women who have yeah they're chronic dieters for 30 40 plus years mm. you know it becomes part of your identity so to be to have compliments which as human beings we love to have compliments that say oh you know you look so much better now or yes. hey don't you look nicer when you wear makeup no, I like it when you make an effort or those kind of really sad comments like you no know, you would look you'd be so much prettier if you lost a few you know it's just so we take those things to heart and we hear messaging like that that's absolute rubbish mm. but we we internalize that and those comments and phrases and sayings they become our beliefs and they become our truth and to let go of that means letting go of who we are now or who we were or who we thought we were and to be in that limbo land of I don't know who I am anymore is really scary yeah and how do you how do you get that that non-diet kind of nutrition how do you get that mindset then what changes can you make to 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 have that kind of non-diet mindset where you can have a healthy relationship with food it's it's a process yeah for sure a challenging process i'm not saying this is this is this is the hard work Mm. that people do and usually it's there's something that happens or there's an accumulation of events that people go i can't do this anymore i can't try and shoehorn my body and i don't you know there's often a real conflict of i can't afford the emotional and psychological and physical costs to my health to try and change it but I also am scared to death of what my body is going to look like and being different and being in the minority really and so there's often a real conflict but there's something that says I I have to try there has to be another way Mm. and I think there's a lot of belief that there isn't another way that the only way is to try and shrink your body or change it and try and manipulate it and shoehorn it. So it's a process where we have to kind of explore with the work that I do with my clients. I often explore the past dieting history. So it's like, when, when did you do your first diet? How old were you? And sometimes my clients will say I was six or five and my mum put me on or I was 11 and my mum took me to Weight Watchers or Slim World or there may have been, you know, a birthday an event or they were getting married there's usually a a window quite early on in life and it's kind of exploring what it was that they were looking to achieve and really identifying their emotions at the time in terms of when were you first told that your body was a problem let's explore that belief and let's try and unpick that and find that find the the distorted truth in there so that we can actually start to work on the truth And some of that is what we call rejecting the diet mentality or those beliefs, certainly around body image, but also around food. The ideas that, you know, food is good or bad or healthy or unhealthy and clean. And again, things that run really deep into our our core values and our core beliefs about who we are. Um, I help people get reconnected to their body because a lot of the time when we're following and I think because I say following food rules, the idea of what you should, in inverted commas, should be doing and shouldn't be doing doesn't, again, come from anywhere really truthful. It's just some random person probably came up with this idea and go, oh, look, hey, that's that's great. So when we're following these external markers, 
and rules and even the idea of, you know, what the scale says determines what I should do today. We come outward of our body. We seek validation from others and we seek information about how well am I doing or how good am I at the moment through the scales. And so we become disconnected from our body. We stop listening to our body about what our body needs and wants to do. Mm. So this disconnection, which can manifest as dissociation in terms of eating disorders, means that we lose trust with our body. When we stop listening, we don't believe what it says. So it's like, well, this is the idea of, you know, only eating at certain times or thinking I can't be hungry because I just ate an hour ago. Well, no, you probably are hungry. Sometimes we just have hungry days, but if we ignore our body... Over time, it starts to ignore us too. So things like hunger and fullness signals go underground. And sometimes we get very good in trying to sometimes manipulate our appearance and the foods that we're eating. And I think just coming back to losing this trust with our body, we lose confidence in our body. And I meet so many women who don't have any idea what know what I would call emerging hunger feels like they know what the starving I'll throttle you now kind of thing is and they know when they rebound into that I'm really uncomfortably full but all of that subtle stuff in between is just kind of white noise it just gets caught up in in life so there's an element of trying to come back into our body which is really helpful because when we have this difficult relationship with food we spend a lot of time in our head And that's not often a healthy place to be if there's a lot of false truths in there and that inner voice can be very derogatory or judgmental or critical. So if we can find ways to come back into our body and find safety in being with our body, then we get to a place where we can learn to appreciate our body in terms of what it's asking for. And that may be linked to food or not appreciating our body in terms of what it's done for us and what it's doing for us in this moment because it's very difficult to take care of a body that you don't really like and I think this is where people come up with that frustration of why won't my body do what it wants to do and I, I think of you know perimenopausal menopausal women who find fatness and weight is described as stubborn because it won't shift and so there's almost an element of despair or panic that what used to work doesn't work anymore but if we don't like being in our body then we're not really going to be in a place to take care of it and nourish it and it becomes more it can potentially come become more of a punishing kind of confrontational relationship so it's really about going moving into a place of tolerance and acceptance with our body rather than thinking I have to love my body and everything about it which to me is quite toxic really yeah it's it is more that that word acceptance is the key isn't it it's just accepting your body what I found is once I got to a place where I could accept it then I could just get on with life and it wasn't holding me back it doesn't mean to say that every day I wake up and think wow I look fantastic today I just don't think about it I don't have to think about it whereas before I used to think about it all the time and it's a con I think in part it's that conscious transition in terms of paying attention sometimes to those thoughts and feelings about our body and acknowledging them, which can be really difficult, but reminding ourselves that this is me, this is my body. 
and my body has done and will continue to do amazing things for me because its job is to keep me safe. And if we can grasp tiny little glimpses of, oh, yeah, that's cool, you know, my thighs may be sturdy, firm, you know, but health, they're strong. And they have got me here to where I am today. And, and for that, I'm grateful. So it isn't, it isn't kind of empty gratitude and positivity. There is, there is real meaning in terms of finding truth, finding evidence that you can hook onto, which is, no, this is my truth. I want to create a new truth for me, a, a new inner voice that will allow me ultimately to live a life more on my terms and to live a life that is more fulfilling and satisfying and not all consuming which food and body stuff can be yeah but do you find that that women as they as they do get older are coming to you as they're going through the peri and the menopause because old issues are kind of rearing its head again because of the changes the body goes through in the menopause is that yes. kind of like another trigger yeah absolutely it's really interesting at the moment um particularly when we look at disordered eating and eating disorders in our sort of our whole population has been a huge focus on adolescent girls mm. and yes they are absolutely affected and we look at the most common um sort of population who are affected by eating disorders and it's between 16 and 40 and menopausal women have routinely been excluded from the research and now we're starting to see thankfully exploration into why actually are women in midlife vulnerable to eating disorders because there have been massive surges and not just through the pandemic mm. but massive surges of women over 35 accessing treatment centers accessing help but also women over 50. Okay. So it is this vulnerable time and our hormones seem to play a key part in this and this can be the and I think this brings in sort of the ageist society that we live in and this this sort of ideal appearance thing going on and we start to see that there are external impacts going on but the hormonal changes that happen in menopause mean that and there's a lot of focus on estrogen but there are links with progesterone and testosterone as well that they increase the likelihood of low mood and depression which is a recognized cofactor depression coexists in 70% of people that are diagnosed with eating disorders. Mm. And there's an element of menopause doesn't make, let's face it, it makes life harder, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm, I'm in this, I'm in the sandwich years. I'm struggling. I struggle, have routinely struggled since my mid-teens with anxiety. Yes. Um, I got immense fatigue and brain fog. Yeah. And when you can't function, the energy that it takes to kind of exist is massive. So there's exhaustion. So what happens when we get very tired is our coping strategies start to shrink. They become inadequate. Yeah. And when we don't feel we can cope, then we kind of look to cope in other ways. And if we think about what disordered eating and disorders are about, it's, it's not about vanity and it's not about food directly. It's about emotions deep core emotions that are difficult that feel too much and our coping strategies if they center around trying to control food um it can result in 
binge eating experiences. And so what we're seeing, particularly for midlife women, is that binge eating disorder is one of the highest sort of categories of an eating disorder that that women present with. But also we're seeing orthorexia, this idea of it's, it's not a true clinical diagnosis, but it is a disordered relationship with food where the focus is heavily on kind of clean and health because we get health concerns. We're, we're in menopause and we're wondering what the hell is going on. It's like we're living in somebody else's body. So it is, it's a very vulnerable window. Um, and I'm kind of looking at more of this research because for me, this means not only can we better identify women who are vulnerable or at risk, mm. we can support them better. Yeah. And do you that, think we're talking about it more? Do you think we are more open? Have you seen a change in the conversations that people are having about, about these issues in the last few years? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, the kind of key television programmes that have helped drive that conversation and we've had you know, high profile women and celebrities coming out talking about the menopause experience. So it is less of a, to- a taboo, mm. but there's still a huge amount of misunderstanding or just a lack of awareness. And I've done, you know, a number of, of talks recently around menopause and particularly some of the dietary aspects, and there's still a lot of confusion. Yeah. So I think we still have a lot of work to do. but. Yeah, recognising that challenges and problems with uh, with eating later on in life is becoming more common. And it doesn't mean that you're no good anymore. It doesn't mean that it's a sign that you're not coping, but it's not a failure. For me, it's like your body is doing the thing that it knows how to do. The thing, the only thing maybe that it thinks is going to keep you safe. I'm guessing there that, that there's still a lot of shame for people when they're dealing with this. So taking that first step to contact somebody like yourself is a huge thing, isn't it? Especially as we get older, we think we get to a point where we think we should be able to manage it ourselves, and we often can't. Well, yeah, we're, we're kind of seen as the wise ones, mm-hmm. you know. And I think of my own role as, you know, doing my business and being a wife and a mother. You know, I I have that kind of trait in me and I have a perfectionist trait in me that says I can do it all and I think it's seen as shameful to admit that you can't do it all but the world that we live in now I don't think many people can do it all in reality I really don't so there's no there's no shame in that and but I understand that resistance in our head that we are the ones that are supposed to keep it together. And I think the other challenge is, is that our lives are typically very full. So we may well be looking after, you know, albeit grown-up children and parents and working and partners and wider family things. And like, well, actually, we're so time precious already. Where is the time for us to really think about ourselves? So I know many women, many, many women will acknowledge they have a problem with their eating but they're not prepared to kind of find the time because that also feels incredibly hard work. It seems the pressure from like the media, advertising, particularly the diet industry is immense. If you could change one thing, where would you start? Because obviously there's there's such a lot to change and there's still a long way to go, but what would you like to see change that would make a big difference? Oh gosh, so many things, Rachel, so many things. Um... 
Oh, I think I, I really want our government to open their blinkered eyes and stop going on about this idea of we just need to eat a bit less. Yeah. Just eat a bit less and move a bit more. They're, and I, I don't even like the O word, the obesity word. The O word, their strategy hasn't achieved anything over the last 20 odd years. Mm. And they have a very weight centric approach. So everything focuses on the importance of weight and ignores everything else. And the fact that as human beings, we are naturally, we naturally come in all different shapes and sizes. And that doesn't mean that we're, people are more unhealthy than others. And there's huge stigma and discrimination. So I'd kind of want to get rid of that out of our government. Um, I want our world to be more inclusive in terms of, for me, widening our visual diet. And this is there's some really interesting evidence around this. If we look at a wider range of shapes and sizes and ages and abilities and races and cultures, we become more accepting of ourselves. Yes. yes. And if our visual diet is very blinkered and part of that is driven by whoever dictates what goes out onto social media and massive advertising companies and whether it's advertising billboards or what goes into our magazines and TVs and films, if we can have more inclusivity with that, I think that would that would help. And we need more mental health support and more education and lots and lots of things. Yeah. Do you go into schools at all? Do you go into to, to, to schools to talk about this subject? I, I don't, Rachel. It's not an area that... I think that would be an entire kind of approach on itself yeah. and I, I tend to work mostly with kind of midlife women and that's really where I'm I'm happy with and I know some wonderful people that do go into schools and yeah. and talk about having a healthy relationship with their bodies particularly with you know primary school children as well as secondary school children it's yeah it this needs a multi-faceted approach from from the right people yeah, it seems to be, it just it struck me as we were talking about how you were saying that it kind of quite often stems back to shelters. Well, I know for me it did, you know, I can visit, I can remember being called chubby by boys in, in my kind of secondary school, so I would have been about 10, and that stays with you. And if you could tackle it early on, then we hopefully would get some of those people yeah. to, to realise that those words aren't true and that they, you know, should put those boundaries up around ourselves at an early age it would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. And I know, you know, that there is good practice out there mm. um, and it's becoming more of a talking point. Yeah. Um, again, our awareness of, you know, younger and younger children are being di diagnosed with eating disorders. We're now getting into single figures. You know, that needs to be tackled. So I think in time, hopefully we'll see we'll see more of that, yeah. you know, in terms of support. What would you say to somebody that, that might not have kind of the man will think that they've got necessarily an unhealthy relationship with food but they do want to maybe ditch the scales and they do want to stop hanging up about what size their dress size is um what would you say to them to try and make some really simple everyday changes to their lifestyle that can really help change their mindset well th there are for me there are a number of of signs that might lend itself to me saying mm, maybe your relationship with food or your body isn't that healthy and the challenge with people recognizing something in them is that for me, disordered eating is just normalized in our society. And it's almost like everyone's doing it. So therefore it's okay. Um, so I think when you feel 
your headspace is being taken up all the time by food or body and you feel that you're being dictated by the scales, it's taking the smallest steps. So if I meet somebody that weighs themselves five times a day, I'm not going to say, ban the scales, throw them out. Because that may well feel way too much. And it's like, <gasps> and then our defenses go out. So it may be, well, what if you weighed yourself just less, one, one time less during the week or two times less? Yeah. And some of it is around giving yourself permission to eat foods that potentially freak you out. And I think if there are real challenges around trying to sort of show up as yourself in terms of it may be feeling shameful in terms of what clothes you might feel comfortable wearing or worrying what other people might be thinking. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it's maybe well worth getting some help because this is not easy stuff. And I, there's always a question that I have, which is what part of you makes you think that you need to do this on your own? But I think it's, it's aligning with people that have the same values as you. So, hey, this is why we connected on Instagram, wasn't it? You know, it's, and I think in terms of our social media diet, unfollow the people that make you feel crap about yourself. And align yourself to people that have the same values and maybe who are showing up as themselves, even though you feel you can't do that yet. And there's no expectations that, hey, you've got to walk around in your underwear, is there, Rachel? No, not at all. No, <laughs> no. But, if it, but even if somebody was seeing my post of me in my underwear might, might get somebody to look at themselves in the mirror. Exactly. For the first time in a long time in their dressing gown or whatever they're wearing. That's a starting point, isn't it? And I think in terms of our language, which can be very loaded and critical it is that really sort of classic saying of would you say that to your best friend or would you say that to your loved one and be really conscious of your language and if you find yourself being overly critical whether that's about your food choices or about what you see in the mirror and part of our body image isn't just what we see in reflection it's how we perceive ourselves in our head but it's really trying to neutralize that language to this is my body. That's it. So even if though your eyes may go to your problem area in inverted commas, which that typically is around the middle area, it's like, that's my tummy. This is my body. This is me. So we try and move away from any of the descriptions, which are often in, in our language that might be critical or derogatory towards our body. Yeah. Thank you so much. I know there'll be so many people listening to this that can relate to it uh, because it's just a subject. Whenever I meet a group of women, it's a subject that always comes up. It's always the amount of people that really shocks me. I don't know why it shocks me that people still really struggle to have a healthy relationship with food. So yeah. thank you so much. It's been really, really interesting. Talk to you for so much longer. I always try and encourage women to be more complimentary about themselves and to give themselves that kind of champion and, and fly their own flag. So if you were to pay yourself a compliment, what would it be, Mel? Um, well, this word was spoken to me. I was told I was this word and I've taken it as my own. And that is brave. Yes. When I first heard it, it was like, do you think so? Because we're very, you know, we get very good at dismissing compliments, don't we? Do you think so? It's like, well, yeah. Look at what you've achieved in terms of coming through, 
you know, challenges with your relationship with food and body and yeah. work that you do. And I, I left employment. Yeah, that's scary. Left it and I am brave. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and if you, I want... if you were now on that word then, so what would what would be a challenge that you kind of might come up in the future that would make you feel brave again? What, what is there something that you'd like to do that's kind of thinking, oh gosh, that would be a big step? Um well I'm kind of trying to do the things that I want to do at the moment. Um I think it's it's putting myself out there. Mm. I have such an important message to share. Yeah. And sometimes I feel a very, very small fish in a big sea of sharks. <laughs> and I have been attacked for that by saying, saying my piece. So I just want to kind of be there for more people to be that ear who, and I want to, I, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to tell people what to do. I'm here to listen. So um, I have a podcast that's relatively new that's out and I kind of I'm ready to kind of to take that further and just get myself yeah I've got, got onto TikTok Rachel so that's that's scary it is, like, no, it is. I'm tentatively I put a post out and then I'll then I run away and don't look at it for about two weeks <laughs> and then I might try another one so yeah it's um funny, isn't it? It, it is so it's like yeah it's just anything whatever it is out of your comfort zone. It looks very different for different people, doesn't it? So I'm I'm actually okay talking to people on, on a very small scale. I love one-to-one kind of conversations and chats. Um yeah, well, so what what's a big thing for someone else, maybe tiny for another one? But I'm I'm here to spread the news. Brilliant. And what's your podcast called? Uh, it's called Cake Over Keto. Brilliant. And can they find that on all Yeah, it's on all the podcast platforms um i'm only on episode eight it's right. a fortnightly thing um and that come the next episode eight which is funnily enough about menopause and eating disorders oh, comes out good. comes out tomorrow so you can find me on instagram for that really and just yeah you can find me on linkedin and yeah. tiktok and my website is wakemannutrition.com brilliant well i'll share all the links now so that people can come and connect with you and your podcast and yeah thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and, and uh keep doing the work you're doing because i know that it's, it's a difficult arena and you you know it's a hard it's it's a hard mindset to change after generations and generations of being bombarded with all this stuff it's it's hard to, to crack it but you're doing amazing work to help people do that so thank you thank you it can be done it can, it can be, be done, done. Yeah. i've loved chatting rachel yeah, thank you too. so much thank you so much take care well, I hope you found that interview with Mel helpful. And I'm sure there'll be lots of you listening that can relate to different parts of, of Mel's work and the, and the subjects that we've been talking about today. It's a really difficult issue, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. We have been led down this route um, and it's been kind of forced on us and bombarded by lots of different angles from the diet industry, from advertising, from media, and it helps shape our negative thoughts on food and, and our healthy lifestyle. So... But it can, like Mel says, you can make differences, you can change and you can break that cycle. It takes work, but it is so worth it when you can. Um, so, yeah, I hope that's found, you know, you found that useful. And if you are somebody that is struggling, please, please reach out to somebody, even if it's just, you know, if it's somebody that you don't necessarily know. Maybe you're in a supportive Facebook group, maybe you're somewhere that you can go and just have a chat with somebody about it, because once you start talking about it, then you will see that you are not alone and there is help available to make changes to your life. So keep being fabulous. I'll be back in a fortnight. Lots of love. 
Thank you for listening to the Out of the Bubble podcast. I hope it's left you feeling inspired. If it has, why not come and join a fabulous group of women in my free Step Out of the Bubble Facebook group, where you can get to connect with other women all at different stages of their own midlife journey, supporting and inspiring one another. You can also come and say hello on Instagram at Rachel Peru Ron. I'd love to know how you intend or how you are already stepping out of your bubble in 2022. If you're loving the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Your support is much appreciated. I'll be back next week with some more inspiration. But in the meantime, keep being fabulous.